When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abu Al <laughs> Not paying attention here. <laughs> and after a dramatic pause, I'm Rebecca Lindland. <laughs> yeah, it's for effect. That's it's drama. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so welcome back. Uh, it's episode 96, and you are both in Chicago for the Chicago Auto Show. Such as it is, yes. Um, but we, we are not recording in a single room. We didn't. We didn't stuff you no. guys in a booth. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> yes. Rebe- Rebecca's one floor up. Yes, and it is windy and yes. oh, snowing a little bit, but not as cold as it's been in the in the last week. I think. <laughs> Although it's a lot colder than it was earlier today, it was <laughs> it was like in the mid forties today, and it's supposed to go down to sixteen tonight. I think. It, it was very cold when we went uh, to some events this evening. Yeah. Was it, I mean, there's still acres and acres of carpet. Is it all iced over? Do you have good traction on the carpet there? Or? Well, the, the, the carpet's all inside. The, the cold is on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like this show, though. You know, it's, they claim it's the largest consumer show, I assume, by attendance. But it's one well, of Well, I think probably also by floor space. I, I, I mean, was going to say, I thought know, it was square footage. This, this place yeah, is massive. It's massive. But it's the kind of show that you can, it's not so crazy and it's not so overrun. So it's a lot of domestic journalists and you get to see people and cars, which usually at other shows you have to decide either you're going to see people or you're going to see cars. because It's almost impossible to, to do both. So I like yeah. this show. It's manageable. And, and actually, interestingly enough, we, we actually did have um, some news from some of the non-domestic automakers here, though, uh, like Subaru and a little bit from Volkswagen and, uh, and, and Land Rover as well. Yeah, which we can yeah. touch on. I'm assuming that's what we want to do at some point during the, the episode yeah. anyway. But uh, well, let's come back around to that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ford had their big announcement about adding 500 jobs um, to their Chicago plant. All right. That's right. Well, Let's talk about what, we're dri- what we've been driving first, though. Okay. Yes. Well, I would love to start us off this week because I am okay. driving. Go for it, Dan. The, what have you been driving? The 2019 Mitsubishi Mirage G4. And I, it, it's easy to make jokes about this car, but I like it. <laughs> it's it's like a little underdog. And, uh, it, of course, the, the main issue with it is that this is eighteen thousand five hundred something dollars worth of underdog, and at that price, it does become difficult to make a case for it. But 
I, there's there's some kind of charm about the uh, the Mirage that every time I drive it, it just I don't hate it. And I realize that it's not really the right car for this market, but it's a brand new car at a, you know, a low price um, that you can get the this version is the SE, I think. So it's pretty well equipped as far as small cars go in this segment. And uh, it comes with a warranty. 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty. I think 5-year, 60,000-mile overall warranty. There's a 7-year or something other. I think it's like corrosion or something warranty. So, you know, if that's important to you, it's not a terrible deal. Uh, and I'm sure that because well, it's Mitsubishi, okay, nobody pays retail. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you this, Dan. I mean... You and I have both driven the uh, the Kia Rio. I don't know. Have you driven the new Rio yet, Rebecca? I have not. No. Okay. So the Kia Rio was also about eighteen thousand and change. It's a brand new car. Comes with a warranty, not ten years, granted, but it comes with a, a you know warranty for several years. What makes the Mirage uh, competitive or better than the Rio? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's certainly it's not the near the top of the class. I was thinking about this. So in its class are things like the Yaris, which feels like a Cadillac. Uh, the last one I drove compared to the Mirage. There's the uh, and and now the Yaris is just the Mazda 2 based Yaris. We don't get the Yaris hatch, do we? Any longer? They they killed that. Didn't um, they? Or am no, I confused? They still, they still saw the Yaris hatch. OK. Yeah, I, I just had one a few months back. OK, so I must be confused about what they actually killed. They killed something. Um, <laughs> but the the Yaris hatch uh, is feels more cushy. It's about the same price um, and it has more power. It actually drives better in a in a more enthusiastic fashion, which when you get down to this end of the market, enthusiasm is sort of a it is what you make it <laughs> um but the you know there's there's the the yaris the masa the rio um it, all of the other choices i think are probably better cars what i like about the mirage is just how quirky it is <laughs> and it feels like to me it's like this is the car that if tractor supply sold cars this is the car they'd sell it <laughs> feels like <laughs> i mean you know so, it, has a, it has a little one so you're, so you're saying engine. it feels agricultural yeah it does it's it's it, you know somebody on twitter commented today like oh the engine sounds buzzy oh yes yes quite buzzy and uh it's it's quite the flagellum it really it vibrates the whole car quite a bit and it's it's got 74 horsepower or something like that. But on the whole, I'm impressed by it because, A, it's not for this market. I keep saying that. Like This is a car that was developed for really for the Asian market. And it's really this is a city car. And in those respects, it excels. Uh, it has that that small engine that probably gets you around some taxation things. And is also just relatively economical, but doesn't feel weak. It's, it's teamed with the CVT. Um, the body structure is got quite a bit of high strength steel in it. It has a, a impressively low 
coefficient of drag. Um, you, you know, you start looking at the car, you go, okay, for, you know, for what it is, it was designed to be exceptionally inexpensive to manufacture and sell. And so sometimes when I'm trying to fall asleep, I've had too much coffee too late at night. I sit there and I think about these things, like how would I make a car, like what is the cheapest possible way to make a car that's not, you know, that doesn't sacrifice anything. It can run on the highway. It can go in town. It's easy to park. It's, you don't really, you don't give up much except for some prestige, I suppose. And that's really what the Mirage is. The problem is that everything else in the class is that as well, and they're better. <laughs> but what, I, do you know what your fuel economy is running at? Because it's, I mean, it's got 36.43 for fuel economy. Yeah. 36 city, 43. I mean, that's that's high. Yeah, I haven't clocked. I haven't I haven't filled up, so I don't know what the, mm. the mileage is. And it re, it's resets the average every time you start it. So <sighs> um, I will figure out what exactly my average is. I expect I'm in the, the mid to high 30s, um, which isn't isn't great. Like, I would expect better mm -hmm. out of a car with less than 100 horsepower from a three-cylinder engine and uh, a pretty light curb weight. But I'm also asking it to do things like commute 90 miles um, <laughs> in a mix of highway and stop and go. And that's going to trash any car's fuel economy to a degree. So, um, uh, on, the, on the other hand, you know, you, um, you, know you, you talked about the one you're driving is, you know, 18.4. Yeah. You can get uh, the Mirage G4 starting at 14.8 with a manual transmission. Right. And and for that price, you know, it does include uh, a seven inch touchscreen display that uh, looks like it's got CarPlay and Android Auto support in it. Um, so that's, you know, <laughs> at, at, you know, under 15 grand. And as you said, you know, you can probably get some screaming deals on these things. You know, I'm, I'm sure Mitsubishi dealers would be uh, more than happy to give you a, a reasonable discount off of that sticker price. You know, you're you actually do get some decent features in there. Yeah, you know, for at a price point that is, you know, less than pretty much any new car currently available. Yeah, it's about as cheap as you're ever going to get a brand new car. And it, it it rides and handles OK. They keep tweaking it. It's, it's been around since I think about 2012. It's gone through a mid-cycle refresh. Um, and this is the this is the G4 SE. So this is the sedan. It has a trunk on it, which I actually I mm. like the way this looks better than the hatch. But the hatch even though it's a little shorter, is probably the more functional choice. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a legitimate car. It's just, at this end of the market, it's easier for us... Uh, yeah, it's, to it's got wheels and it's self-propelled and, it, you know... Yeah. <laughs> That makes it legitimate. I mean, think about it, right? This car is is it's got um, you know it's got that that touchscreen audio system. I think you can even upgrade it to something with like 300 watts. It's it's loud, so that's you're gonna go deaf. Um, part of that is the tires, but I think also when you need that lightweight, things like uh, lots oh, of oh, you mean the car itself is loud, not not the audio system. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. the The car itself. There's a lot of road noise. Uh, the the weirdest driving dynamic to me is there's something funky going on with the steering and i think it's probably because it's electric power steering and it shuts off until you dial in a little bit of uh 
torque to the to steering. You know, it has it must have a sensor that says, "Oh, he's turning the steering wheel. He wants some some electric boost," and then it kicks the pump on or kicks the assist motor on, or however it's set up. I haven't looked at it, uh, but there's this weird notchy feeling, just slightly off center, and it, it, that feels very strange. And all of a sudden, you get assist, so you over, you know, put put in too much angle, and it, yeah. So there's that. The audio, the the um, overall sort of mood in the interior is uh not not cheap but definitely like you know to a price it it reminds me a lot of like a a super beetle when they were new that just you know it's a basic car and it's not that expensive and if you want something luxurious this is not the car for you but if you need a car especially if you live in the urban core and don't you know, don't go super long distances or something like that. This is a car that, because we don't have mass transit everywhere, like, this is an option. I no, and, and actually, I mean, you know, that's that's actually a very valid point. I mean, you know, we we make fun of this car um, for some you know uh, utterly valid reasons, but you know, the the reality is, you know, new cars have gotten really expensive. Yeah, and you know, most people can, you know, most most people probably can't really afford to buy a new car. You know, at you know, I think average transaction prices are you know somewhere around thirty five thousand dollars or more now. You know, uh, a, a nice uh, compact crossover, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute, you know, is you know <laughs> forty thousand dollars. Right. You know, and that's that's kind of crazy. You know, for for the average person, you know, the average American that um, you know needs basic transportation that's going to be reliable. You know, that gets them where they need to go. That you know they, they're not looking for something exciting, you know, but they they want something that they can count on, um, you know. That's you know, the, you know, part of the problem is you know you can you can buy used cars, and and I you know generally you know that's a highly recommended practice is to you know buy used cars because with the depreciation you can save a lot of money buying a used car, but then there's also a significant risk associated with that if it's out of warranty, you know, you're responsible for anything that breaks on that you've got to pay for that out of pocket to fix it if you you know and if you need to get to work you know that's that's a problem uh you know the car like this you know it does come with a warranty you know and you know modern cars no matter how cheap are generally pretty reliable yeah Uh, so you know it this you know i mean this this is this is not you know generally not something i would buy but I, I can I can certainly understand why there's a, a significant portion of the population that would and and should buy a car like this if they need transportation. Yeah, it's it's first of all it's better than the bus, right? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, especially you know, you know, in a lot of places in the U.S., it, that Where that is absolutely true. It, you know, right? If there is no bus, you have no choice. Yeah, right. and so you know, for this price point, it's got Android Auto, it's got Apple CarPlay. You know, is it got cruise it, control? It it does. I mean, that's the thing. And and as you say, it's is this something that you know an enthusiast is going to buy? No, but for for basic good transportation, and that warranty is ten years, a hundred thousand miles. I mean, that's really significant. You can you know th- there are deals on it. I you know you can get a lease for like one eighty nine a month. I mean that's. You know, that's what you spend at Starbucks on for a week, practically. To be fair, the <laughs> most amazing places I ever saw were on yeah. like Chrysler 200s before they brought up the late, the last one. 
Right. <laughs> I saw them for like 89 a month for like 1500 down. Hey, for, like, for, for, a while, for a while, they were doing uh, $49 a month leases on the 500E in California. Crazy. But, I mean, Crazy. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, look, it has keyless entry. It has push button start, which is on the left of the dash, like a Porsche 911. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Love it. Right. Love it. Uh, has air conditioning, power windows. Um, you know, it has has Bluetooth and, and you know, I, yeah, the audio system didn't sound that good. And the car is a little loud uh, dynamically. It's it's actually not terrible dynamically because it's light. So light cars, you can sort of fling around. It has, yeah, I guess, a bit. It's, of body it's, a, it, it's a slow car. You can drive fast. Yeah. And it, it, it keeps up with traffic. It doesn't you know, it doesn't have a problem there. It's definitely sometimes you got to put your spurs into it. But yeah, that's that's to be expected. Um you know, there's there's not anything wrong with it. And I feel like it gets a bad rap, uh, especially from those of us who have the cushy position to drive cars we'd never be able to afford <laughs> on a regular but basis. Think, you know what? I think this is a good example, though, of where we have to put ourselves in the consumer's shoes. We have to look at at the consumer that that this vehicle suits. And that may not be any of us, but it's somebody, you know, it's, it's a new graduate, you know, it's somebody that maybe they're, they're in retirement and they, they want to spend their money on something else, but it is, it's still a new car. It still has safety features that a seven or eight year old used car isn't going to have, right. You know, a, a backup camera, you know, things like this and, and Android auto and, and, you know, Apple CarPlay, there is some argument to be made that yes, they can be distracting on the one hand. On the other hand, they can provide a safety, you know, a safety element to it. So it's, you know, there is a market for these types of vehicles. Yeah. I would yeah, say. And, and, and having Android auto on CarPlay means that you also have access to navigation in the car. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you know, if you, if you need guidance as to, you know, where to go, it's, it's there for you, you know, so that there's a, there's a lot, there's a definitely a lot to re- recommend, you know, as as basic transportation here yeah i mean we can have fun and i can say like yeah i I didn't hate it and um you know it's it's okay (laughs) brianna Wu actually said on on twitter she's like i just want mitsubishi to be okay i was like oh this is definitely okay (laughs) right you know it's but and that's that's true it's not the best car in its class but in this class it's actually very competitive there's a lot of you can get a lot of car for your money and you have to shop I think all of the the suspects that we mentioned and maybe some that we forgot because you're going to find the one that, that suits you the best and fits your needs. And, you know, depending on on where you are, where you're going, uh, you know, service and, and um, support are important to you too. So if the Mitsubishi dealer is near you, that's something to think about. Um, If the Mitsubishi dealer is the only one that can finance you, that's also something to think about. Or if they'll give you a better deal, you know, like th- those are a lot of concerns that auto journalists having, you know, a week with a car, not having to pay for it, not having to deal with those practical to c- practical concerns we don't think about. But, you know, it's it's an option in that end of the uh, the class. And it's 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 not a it's not a choice that anybody should uh, should be ashamed of. It's definitely like you said, Sam, it's not what I would pick, but I was, uh, you know. I was charmed a bit by it because it has that underdog spirit, you know, and it's, I think it's the only one with a triple. And I like that little growl. Uh, 
you know. It's sort of like the Patriots last Sunday. You know, they were a little, they were underdogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a mirage. The, the, they the were pa- underdogs. The, the Patriots <laughs> is underdogs. Really? Come on. Uh, Did hey, you miss you my know. line? I, I said it was a mirage, but yeah. they were oh, underdogs. Okay. <laughs> right, so then the Mirage showed up the same day they had their big stupid parade in Boston. So <laughs> the big fabulous parade, you mean? <laughs> it, it so obliterated my commute. I'm still waiting to figure out a how much it cost because you know taxpayers are footing the bill for the gridlock and the extra police and um, then the, the pollution from all the cars idling. I looked around uh, at all the stuff next to me. In, in the gridlock and it was just a bunch of chumps all in their Patriots gear headed into town. Well, I'm just trying to get to work. I was, I was so aggravated. We need better mass transit. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> so moving oh, on. And, uh, and, the, and the Mirage also has hill start assist, which is also a, a very useful feature. I, you know, it's like, it's hard not to be impressed with the amount of value you're getting in cars these days. And, and the Mirage is easy to make fun of, but I think it's actually a little harder to put yourself outside of yourself. Um, and and really appreciate it for what it is and where it fits in the market. I mean, people make the same thing, same kind of jokes about the Yaris, but the the Yaris is a solid choice. I mean, I think the actually, f- yeah, the current generation Yaris is actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, the small, think, cheap cars. I think the Mirage. I think where it really falls short is when you do start comparing it to things like the Kia Rio, the Hyundai Accent. And the and also the residual value that those vehicles are going to probably maintain. Oh yeah, better you know than the Mirage. So I think that's where you you start to run into some some real comparisons. But again, I it's better than the bus. <laughs> yeah, very true. All right. Well, let's move on to what you two are driving. Um, you're sort of driving the the same thing. Um, you both got to spend some time with the Mazda CX-5. So who wants to go first? Sam, go ahead. Okay, so you know, I I've always been a fan of Mazda. You know, I like the brand. I like I like what they do with cars, and 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 their utilities. Um, and you know, I've liked the CX five when I've driven it in the past. You know, particularly this current generation. You know, Mazda, Mazda. You know, especially you know in the segments it competes in the you know the price points it is competed in. It has generally had some of the nicest interiors you will find, you know, in, you know, in the mainstream segments, they, they have done a really fantastic job of executing over the last seven, eight years. That said, this particular CX five, this 2019 CX five that I just had. And, and, uh, uh, Rebecca had, uh, the same one, the same one, I think the, mm-hmm. uh, the signature with yeah. the new, uh, 2.5 liter turbo. Yeah. Um, as good as it is, I'm having a really hard time dealing with a forty thousand dollar price tag. What? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. Thirty nine thirty nine thousand three hundred and thirty dollars delivered. Oh, mine is thirty nine thousand nine hundred and five dollars delivered. Oh. oh, you had a better one. Yes. You, so here's that some option I was missing. I don't know, but what was yours? Uh, I had a signature. Uh, yep. With cargo mat, uh, illuminated door sill trim plates yep. uh, for 400 bucks. I can yep. live without those. Uh, the snowflake white pearl paint. Um, oh, it looks good with that. Does it have a tan interior? Yeah. Uh, no, mine had a black interior. Uh, rear bumper guard, retractable cargo cover, and a roof rack with side rails. Oh, okay. So mine had 
I didn't have the fancy paint, but I had a front and rear bumper trim package for, I think it's $650. Okay. Uh, that's probably the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So it bases. So this. So so the signature all wheel drive, based at thirty six eight ninety for the MSRP, and then these other crazy little options that they added, and then delivery was nine eighty five. So it tops out at thirty nine nine oh five. Okay, That's... but Mazda <laughs> doesn't have a premium brand. So like unlike say Honda, where there's Acura. There is no, they never, they never launched Amadi. So there's room in Mazda's lineup when you've got the signature. This is the top model of the CX-5. You can certainly get a cheaper one. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get a front wheel drive CX-5 two liter, you know, starting at $25,000, which is actually pretty reasonable. And, and even, you know, the, the mid-level trims, you know, you get something like the, uh, um, the Grand Tour, you know, the Grand Touring uh, starts at 31, four, um, you know, the touring is 28. So, you know, one of those, you know, like, like even a, a touring, you know, which is the second trim level up, you know, that has the 2.5 liter engine. Um, you know, that's, you know, something like that, you know, up, up to, you know, the low $30,000 range, I think is fine. I, you know, I highly recommend those. And I have recommended them to people in the past when they, when people have come to me saying, you know, I want to get a, a small crossover, um, you know, the CX-5 is usually, you know, one of the vehicles at the top of the list that I recommend because I, I really like the way it drives. I like the way it looks. You know, I, I always like the, you know, the way that they execute the interior, um, you know, very comfortable, good seats, um, you know, lots of features in there. You know, it's just this, you know, as the, these, these latest ones, you know, with the, the turbo, you know, the, the Grand Touring Reserve, you know, and the Signature. You know, they just it seems like it's a step too far because I don't think that there's I don't think you're getting enough extra with those trim levels versus even the Grand Touring uh, with the two point with the, the normally aspirated two point five to justify the price point. I don't know, what, what do you think, Rebecca? I agree. I mean, what the way that I when I usually get a car, I'll drive it around for the day and, you know, kind of make notes and sort of look at it, experience it. And then I look at the price because I don't want to have, you know, and I kind of think, okay, how much would I expect to pay for this vehicle? And I almost fell over (laughs) when I saw the CX-5 because I think, you know, my my personal vehicle that primarily sits in in the driveway is a a 2015 Buick Encore that I think – I think had a price of about 31 and it doesn't have a few features. It doesn't have, um, it doesn't have keyless entry. It doesn't have an electronic lift gate. There's a couple of things it doesn't have, but it's also $31,000 as opposed to almost $40,000. And then we start to get into what else could I buy for that? And that's, that's what I start to think about then as well. You could probably and, get a Mirage for that price difference. You could get, get, get an encore exactly. and a Mirage. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, so I had something, um, I had a, a 2019 Lexus UX 200, which is their smallest crossover. I had that a couple of weeks ago and it's a Lexus and it starts at 37.2. And the one that I had topped out at 41.560. So, you know, it, it was, 
what is that, $1,500, $1,600 more for a, a, a really, really well-equipped Lexus. And but but what, you know, did, what features did the Lexus have that the Mazda didn't have? Uh, probably what? had a really obnoxious infotainment system because that's, <laughs> that's Lexus. Um, and the, no. the Mazda does have support for CarPlay and Android Auto now, so. It does. It does. And and Lexus only has Apple CarPlay. It does have Amazon Alexa as well. Um, but, you know, the driving experience was really nice with the, with the Lexus. And I still get back to the fact that you have to look at residual value as well. You know, and, and the Lexus is going to maintain its value more than the Mazda is. And, you know, it was just, it was a really, you know, it was a fun little car to drive around in. And the Mazda is too. But, you know, and, and, and to your point, Dan, it is true that Mazda doesn't have a luxury brand. But I just think that, you know, I just, I had a hard time. And I've actually reached out to friends of mine at, at Mazda. I just saw them here in Chicago. And I said, I got I, I need some explanation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is your competitive set? When you priced this vehicle, what were you comparing it to? Uh, and unfortunately, I haven't heard back yet, but um, I, I will be really curious to see what they benchmarked for the CX-5. Well, I wonder, too, whether it's meant to not actually sell that many, but shift perception of Mazda, because Mazda is in this place where they're a very small automaker, comparatively. Uh, and yet they they at least occupy some mind share right now and they need to do something um, to differentiate themselves, almost like what BMW has done on a different level. Right. They need to come up with that unique Mazda thing and they, they're working on it. And I think they're doing a pretty good job. But they have to continue to move beyond like, yeah, Mazdas are sort of cheap, fun cars, because even now they don't really have that top of mind of the buyers. Right. Buyers are going to go for. For Chevys or you know Volkswagens or or whatever they they don't necessarily go for Mazdas all the time, um, right? So and and they and they've certainly you know tried to shift the brand up market over the last several years. You know they they've tried they've tried to create the perception of Mazda as more of a premium brand, but one that is also you know while still retaining their their fun to drive attitude. Yeah. And and I think the things that you get on this sort of top trim too, you get the Napa leather, and maybe they're a little too subtle about it, because if you look around and you start to compare the spec sheet, you see the things that are real luxury car features that you don't get on the lower trims that you can get here, and and they do they make a difference. Uh, but I, I think you're right; like it's not a not a palpable enough difference, or it's not uh, obvious enough to really make you feel like it's worth that money. It's certainly nice, but nobody's going to, you know, it, for, honestly, for me, like I, I, I'd be like, look, nice leather red is fine. I don't even need real hides. Like I don't well, care. It, it's, I mean, it's a little bit like putting, you know, really expensive, uh, really expensive appliances in a, in a mid-level house. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like, okay, that's great. You're not going to get your money back. This <laughs> is with the wall oven. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you put these crazy, a wolf range, you know, that's, that's yeah. 10 or $12,000 and a hundred thousand dollar house. You're not going to get that back. And so 
I, I do appreciate that they want to move up market. And there's definitely opportunities there and, you know, and perceptions of people feel like, you know, Mazda has this, it's a unique vehicle. You know, you don't see them everywhere. Not everyone has, they're not ubiquitous, you know, and they do have a, a certain emotional appeal and they're, and they certainly are very fun, you know, to drive. But at the end of the day, you know, this buyer, um, that, that crossover, you know, five passenger crossover, first of all, it's an unbelievably competitive segment right now, especially, um, but you know, they're, they tend to be quite practical. You know, they want a nice looking vehicle, but I think 40 grand, it's just, a, it's a lot of money on, on this particular size of vehicle. So do you think that it's in the right place though, where you've got some buyers are coming up and some buyers are coming down and this is sort of at the, the crossroads where you've got that downsizing buyer who has money and then you've sure. got that, that up and coming buyer who's stretching a little, but wants something nice and different and quirky and do you think it's ideally positioned or do you think it's a little bit off? I, I just, I think that the, if, if they, if they took it down a couple thousand dollars, I could see it being more competitive. I just think when, when consumers look and see that 38, 39 range, I just, I, I've, I've, I struggle with that for, for this size, you know, um, we, we will, t I think we're going to talk a little bit about the blazer, the Chevy blazer. And that is, um, that has a lot of personality and I think it's even actually a little bit bigger and that tops out at about, again, like 40, 41 and you know, 42 in that range. So I just, I think there's so much competition. Um, we talked, you know, about the Honda passport. So it, it's, there's just there's so much competition in this particular space that I think you really have to justify. You've got to be able to justify why you're looking at this kind of this kind of money. And the yeah. Oh, go ahead, Sam. I was just going to say, you know, um, you know, you compared the the Lexus UX to this, and I think the UX is really you know a size class down. It's more like CX3 size. Right. The the NX is more the um you know the, the direct competitor yes, right. here yep. Fair uh, enough. yeah and and you know the the nx does start at uh at about 38 or thirty six thousand dollars. you know and so you know i think comparably equipped to something like this uh like a cx5 signature you know it's it's closer to you know about the 44 dollars range um but uh, yeah I, I i agree with you i, I think you know if if this you know, kind of topped out maybe a couple of grand cheaper, you know, in that 37, five, 38 range, I think it would, it would feel more palatable. You know, I mean, it's clear, you know, it's, it's clearly still fairly pricey, but I think just the, the perception of it, I, I think, I think maybe Mazda is maybe trying to move a little bit too aggressively to create that premium feel uh, or that cream, that premium perception of the brand, um, you know, with its, with its pricing and maybe it's just not quite ready to be there yet with with these vehicles I, I don't know that there's enough enough that extra that you're getting you know in stepping up to one of those top two trim levels on this thing to justify the the cost premium well but they're there so uh, before we move on though we should talk about that 2.5 liter turbo engine it's great yeah <laughs> yeah i like for it sure yeah, no, so it's, got, it's a lot of fun 
Yeah, it's got lots of power, you know, 250 horsepower, 310 foot pounds of torque. You know, it, it, it goes, you know, especially when you put it in sport mode. Um, you know, it, it's got plenty of get up and go. That's not an issue at all. Well, I mean, that that's almost I, there's got to be double the torque of the CX-5 when it originally came out. I remember there was there were two engines and the two liter, I think, was the one you could get with the manual. And boy, did that, that thing was weak, but it was fun to drive. <laughs> it's, yeah, the. The, the two the two liter is uh, well the naturally aspirated two uh, two five which I think is the base engine in here now I don't think you can even get the two liter uh, in the CX five anymore so the the two five uh, naturally aspirated is one hundred eighty seven horsepower and one hundred eighty six foot pounds of torque so yeah I mean it's it's about eighty percent more torque uh, with the turbo than you get with the the naturally aspirated engine. And you, you can definitely feel the difference. Uh, it, you know, it's definitely got plenty to go. And, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things they've added in here, you know, for the 19s is their G vectoring system, which is, you know, it, it's kind of a, um, an automatic trail braking system. You know, as you're, as you're going, as, it, as you're cornering, you know, it'll, it'll, it can back off the engine torque a little bit, you know, as you're going through corners. So it detects your cornering, it backs off the engine torque, just enough um, that you get a little bit of weight transfer onto the front wheels and that helps you get a little more grip on the front wheels and it'll turn in a little bit better. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, a skilled driver, you know, can do the same thing by just modulating the accelerator a little bit as you go through the corner. But, you know, this, this does it for you and it, and it, it does it really seamlessly. It just, it helps it turn in really nicely and really smoothly. It's like kind of like the CX-5 we always said that we wanted, right? It's like, this is great, but it needs to be quieter and more powerful. And it sounds like the last, uh, it might have been even a CX-9, but I was impressed by the last couple Mazdas I was in. They finally figured out how to make them quiet. And uh, they've also finally figured out how to make them powerful. And so they're very competitive. And the CX-5 is the best-selling Mazda, I think, of all the, the vehicles they make, at least in the U.S., that it sells better than anything else. So if they're going to... Yeah. Can it's try nice an expensive me, super luxe version. I guess this is the place to do it. And and there it's it's certainly very very well equipped at that price. I mean, there's heated and cooled seats. You know, heated and heated and cooled in the front. There's heated in the back. There's a heated steering wheel. It's got a lot of creature comforts. But I still did not feel like I was driving a nearly forty thousand dollar vehicle. Like, and it looks great. You know, it's got nice proportions. It's it's very kind of modern and clean looking, but I don't know. I just, I had a really, I had a hard time getting over that price point. I also didn't get very good fuel economy around town. Oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know, I mean, it says it's rated at 22, but, um, and granted I didn't drive it as much as I normally would for a variety of reasons, but I was, I, 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 I was clocked. I clocked 40 miles. And mostly around town, I did. I was on the highway for about, I would say, fifteen miles of that, and I got sixteen point six. Oh, that's actually that's worse than I thought. I was figuring you'd get like yeah. eighteen and a half or so. Uh, I I averaged about twenty two uh, over the week, and that you know included some driving, um, you know, when it got particularly frigid last week. Uh, but it also included a bunch of highway driving on Monday of this week. Um, you know, when it was quite a bit warmer, I mean, it was, it was you know, in the upper twenties, low thirties on Monday, mm -hmm. uh, at, at, you know, so 
you know, cold weather is always going to deteriorate your fuel economy anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I only managed about 22, um, even with some, with a bunch of highway driving. So yeah, it, it, it was, it was kind of disappointing on the fuel economy side as well. Yeah. But I, I think, um, you know, it's hard to expect that a car, what does what it weigh about 3,500 pounds or so? Something like uh, that? I think it's probably closer to 37. Okay. So a 3,700 uh, pound car with 250 horsepower, like, yeah, that, that's that's about what a turbocharged 3,700 pound car with that kind of power gets. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's almost, I, it's actually, I, would, I would say, you know, if, if you're if you're driving it in a sporty manner, I would say, yeah, that that's that's a perfectly legitimate statement. But, you know, in, in my case, you know, I was using it. I, I drove to, uh, you know, from my home to Dearborn for one uh, meeting and then, you know, to uh, Farmington Hills, Michigan for for a couple other meetings. Uh, you know, and I was mostly, you know, cruising on the highway. I just set the cruise control at 70 uh, approximately and, you know, let it go. And, you know, so I, I wasn't doing any anything particularly aggressive with it and, you know, still did not get, you know, particularly impressive fuel economy. Yeah. I mean, every turbocharged car I've owned that has been about that size and weight with that kind of power has returned about that kind of mileage. <laughs> Well, but it's but it's rated. I mean, the city's twenty two, highway twenty seven, combined twenty four, and I typically get pretty close to what the rating is. You know, it's usually it's it's within a mile or two. But I just I was I was a little surprised that it wasn't it wasn't a little bit better than that. And maybe I was driving more aggressively. I was certainly on a lot of curves and up and downs. Um, you know, the other thing that surprised me was that it actually has a, a pretty poor smog rating of three. Um, and it's got a, a fuel economy and greenhouse gas rating of five. So, you know, it's, it's not really a super clean. I don't know. I just, I wanted to really like this vehicle. As we said at the beginning, I, you know, Mazda is a great brand and I think they do really good products, but just a couple things that I was a little surprised about on this one. I'm actually, I'm surprised that the, the fuel economy is, uh, you know, so off as well because it, I, it doesn't this actually run like partial Miller cycle at certain um, like throttle <laughs> openings, certain conditions. Yeah, it, it it does. Yeah. So again, well, like yeah, it's a little baffling that it doesn't get better fuel economy. Yeah, I took a picture to make sure that I was like really looking at it correctly. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll get an opportunity to have it again and drive a little bit more. Well, maybe you'll get answers out of Mazda once they yes, recover from their party. That would be helpful as well, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, all right. So do we want to talk about the uh, the Blazer? Sure. Okay. Well, you're the only one who's driven it, Rebecca. So tell us all about it. So um, I I really enjoyed this vehicle. I I think that, that General Motors did a nice job. Um, you know, I've... I always think that, you know, GM doesn't really suffer from engineering issues. I, they, I think they do a, a good job. It, it drives in this very wide, steady, confident stance. And so I felt like, you know, I felt like it was, it was going to be able to kind of tackle. We weren't on particularly challenging roads in San Diego, and we actually did not get the opportunity to take it off road, which I was, kind of disappointed about um i think 
you know, the purists are going to be very offended that it's not a truck-based SUV. It is car-based. Um, but that's what the market requires these days. And so, you know, and, and that, that was a decision that they made that if they were going to come out with this five-passenger vehicle uh, that, you know, is really it's, it's similar to the Passport. It's, it's a more personal kind of vehicle that it was going to be what the market demands. And, and that's a crossover right now. Um, it does have two rows. It's a it's five passenger. They consider it a midsize crossover. Uh, so it will compete with um, I think like the Escape that comes out. It's it's bigger. Uh, it's bigger than the Equinox, but I felt like it was much sportier than the Equinox. Like I wouldn't really I I, I wouldn't really consider buying the Equinox, but I would consider buying the Blazer. It just had a lot more personality to it. Um, certainly does from a design perspective. Yeah, right. honestly, I like the the design of it. I know people are also split on that, but I I liked the design of it too, especially the RS version, which I call real sexy. I <laughs> it it just had a nice you know had a, again it has a nice aggressive stance to it. The interior is basically lifted directly from the Chevy Camaro, um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, and then the the technology they've done a lot of work on the technology making it more intuitive, making it easy to understand, to, to interact with, um, very easy to pair your phone, things like that. Uh, the towing capacity is 4,500 pounds, uh, which is really good. Um, and, and it also has Chevy's trailering package. So that's available on V6 all-wheel drive versions of it. Um, they've got two engines. Uh, they're both made to the nine-speed transmission. There's a 2.5 liter inline four-cylinder and the much beefier 3.6-liter V6, which is really the dominant a- engine and, and what they expect most people to choose from. So the base MSRP is at $29,995, which I love when they do that. They, they want to get something under 30 uh, That RS that I mentioned, um, it has it's, it's a much more urban kind of look to it. That's actually se- uh, 41795 but then the one that has everything is the premiere and that's 43,895. Um, I feel like, you know, this, this particular buyer, again, similar to that passport is somebody that's um, single empty nester, maybe has one kid, probably not uh, a little bit more affluent, a little bit more, you know, adventurous has, uh, has, or wants to have the perception of, an active lifestyle. Uh, and, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's got good cargo, good capability. Um, it was certainly really, I, I did enjoy driving it. Um, but again, we didn't go off road with it at all. How's the so, visibility out of it? The visibility yeah. was really good. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I struggle particularly with, with visibility. Uh, but it was fine. I mean, the rear, you know, the, the, it, they did this this clever like third little round porthole almost <laughs> uh, at the D pillar, and so that helped with you know obviously they have blind spot monitoring and detection and stuff. So, but um, just for you know pure visibility, they do the backup camera is excellent, and then they did do these little portholes at the at the ends of the D pillars so that you can see out of the, out of that as well. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned that you didn't get a chance to drive this off-road, and and I, I'm not, I don't think that uh, Chevy is really um, 
pushing this as as much of as you know the adventure vehicle as Honda is with Passport, you know, but more of the you know personal on road crossover. Um, right. And interestingly, there there was a report out last week, I think, um, that they have also recently um, renewed the, their trademark on the Trailblazer brand. Oh, that is interesting. So, so perhaps you know they're planning you know whether it's a derivative of this or maybe something based off the uh, the Colorado pickup. Um, you know, a, a, a midsize, um, you know, SUV, you know, off-road oriented SUV that they'll use the Trailblazer brand on and, and target that one more directly at something like, um, you know, the Wrangler and, and the upcoming Bronco yeah. uh, as, as an alternative, uh, you know, that fills yet another niche in the, in the, the GM <laughs> uh, SUV lineup. Well, you know, I don't think they actually need to make this uh, an off-road capable vehicle like that's not what people are buying them for it's not even what people buy wranglers for you know so they need to fill it with the features that people are going to buy and it sounds like what they really want is the crossover equivalent of a monte carlo it's <laughs> you know, sort of like personal luxury car from the 70s yeah and, 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 you know okay so it's like a, a yeah, I mean, I think you know this, this kind of you know maybe falls you know kind of halfway in between you know Camaro and Monte Carlo, you know a little you know bigger and roomier obviously than a Camaro, you know, but kind of uh, with that uh, you know a little more and from a design perspective at least a little more of that uh, Camaro attitude. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and when I say Monte Carlo too, like don't get me wrong, I do not mean the embarrassing W body Monties. I mean like. <laughs> The the, pro- the proper 1970s, early 80s Monty's. Right. A colonnade Monty or a, yeah. Anyway. Right. Or, no, or maybe, think, maybe the SS. Yeah. There, you, there go. you go. Yeah. I do think that, um, you know, I, the, the only reason I bring up the off-road is because it was so emphasized with Honda, with a passport. I mean, most of our time was spent off-road. You right. know, so it's just kind of funny how, how each brand chose to launch their, these, very similar vehicles. Uh, but I do think that this, I think the Blazer is certainly very capable. I, I again, I had a, a nice sense of confidence with it. Uh, my driving partner who shall remain nameless is known as one of the more cynical people in the industry. And even he liked it like very reluctantly. There is no, there are no cynical people in this industry. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> right. Very reluctantly. But um, so I did write a little review on my, I'll do a, a quick self-promotion. I have a new website, Rebecca drives.com. And, um, and so I did my, do my a quick little 200 words or less review on there about the blazer um if people want to want to read it but we'll include it we'll include the links in the show notes yes thank you <laughs> but i think it's you know what i like about this size vehicle what i like about this the looks of this vehicle is that it does it, it just it to me it just gives that sporty fun single feeling that you know, so much of our world is family oriented, which is fine if you have a family. But somebody like me who doesn't, I don't want to be in a mommy mobile. You know, I just don't. Yeah, I think and it's so, important for for some of those folks who who have that asset in their lives to, <laughs> to have a vehicle that doesn't 
outwardly sort of give give that aura off either, you know? Like, right. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's kind of like they they had this stuff kicking around. They sort of re, rejiggered a bunch of stuff they, they had already. And I think they made a pretty good vehicle. Um, the people that are complaining about it, they're going to complain about anything. It wouldn't matter. And I mean, they, they, exactly. they, they could have brought out a brand new blazer, like the old style blazer, and they still would have complained. So. Yeah. <laughs> did did did, they, did you get a chance to drive the four cylinder version or just the V six? You know what? I was looking back on my notes and I only got to drive the 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 V six, and then I wasn't sure if maybe they didn't have them there. But I thought they had, and so I think they may have only had a couple there. Obviously, they're intending that most of the, most of the people will get the three point six liter V six. Yeah, and you know, given that uh, this thing has a forty two hundred pound curb weight. You know, it, that, that's why I asked the question, you know, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not exactly spelt. Um, no. so it, no, you know, it's a substantial vehicle. I mean, it's yeah. wide, you know, it's again, it's, it's wide and has nice proportions, but definitely, um, a, a masculine stance to it. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. Well, I, I'll hopefully at some point. Get an opportunity to drive it. I know Sam, you you will definitely get an opportunity yeah. to drive it. So yeah, it's already in the Detroit fleet. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, somebody uh, has one already. I saw them. I saw them post it. All right. Well, I, I will. Uh, I will ask about that one. Yeah. Um, and and someday you may get uh, GM cars in in uh, your neck of the woods again, Dan. But I maybe not. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? If they don't want to sell any, they don't have to send them here for us to talk about them. That's fine. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's All right. do let's do some other topics while we're <laughs> while we're, we're winding on. So, uh, do we do we want to chat about what was in uh, Chicago briefly, or there's a couple other things that we could talk about? But um, yeah, what what's sort of the top of your mind to to cover? I really liked the Nissan Pathfinder that we saw, the Rock Creek edition. It's uh, it's kind of cosmetic. It has uh, some unique uh i think it's a roof rack a some accoutrements it's about a thousand dollar uh version add-on but it kind of gives the it, it gives the pathfinder some fun personality is that supposed to be yeah. like a a more rugged like off-roady kind of thing yeah. or well it doesn't I don't certainly know. appearing that way yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a it's um it definitely gives that more rugged appearance Although, you know, I, I will say that the the Pathfinder is actually surprisingly capable off-road, you know, even without this appearance package. Um, Nissan did an event in um, Carmel, uh, not last summer, but the year before. And, uh, you know, it was, it was focused on trucks and utilities, and they had the Pathfinder, the Armada, and the Titan there. And they actually they had a, an off road course that we drove the uh, the Pathfinder on back then, and it did shockingly well for what is a fairly large three row crossover. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with it. Um, I, I did not expect it to handle you know that that kind of terrain uh, with you know with the kind of capability that it did. So uh, you know now you know it kind of looks more the part. You know, I, I doubt it's it's any more capable than it was, but that's you know that's not necessarily a problem because I I think you know it it's it's got some some serious chops. That yeah, is... and I love great rims. The rim there's um they're eighteen inch 
dark finish aluminum alloy wheels and and they just look fantastic i thought it really added a lot to the vehicle and and being 18s that means it actually has some side walls you know yeah. so that if you're going to take if you are going to take it off road you know you are less likely to um destroy you know one or more tires along the way yeah <laughs> it is one of the better looking pathfinders i've seen of this sort of generation and Every every one of them, I'm surprised that it actually did so well off road when you tried it because every every single Pathfinder I've ever driven has driven so miserably. They're just big and family truckstery, and just you're surrounded by a lot of loose, not not nothing's loose. It's relaxed fit, I guess, is the design. It's just <laughs> just big thing, and it wallows. Yeah, you fits. know, I mean, you know, it's it it's not a Wrangler, um, but. You know, for for what it is, you know, I mean, it's it's able to go, you know, you know, through, you know, fording some reasonably deep water, you know, going over some, um, you know, it's it it's got some decent ground clearance, you know, so it can go over some, uh, you know, go down some uh, some two track trails and things like that. So you know, you can take it to places that you might not expect, you know, a big family wagon to go. Huh. And 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 in this dark green, I I think that it's it's a fantastic shade to put on this thing. Yeah, I love that dark green. Um. So what else did we see at at Chicago? We saw let's see the Jetta GLI. Um. There was there was yeah, which is which is the new Jetta, which you know we've we've both driven and mm-hmm. really liked, and they they put the GTI powertrain in it, so two hundred twenty eight horsepower, two hundred fifty eight foot pounds of torque, and you know all the it's, it's basically a four door sedan GTI, you know, which is what the GLI's kind of always been, and you know that's that's a good thing. Yeah, no, no, nobody's gonna complain about that, right? That's... I'm not. Um, um, for me, the other big thing that I saw was the Ram multi-gate uh, split tailgate on the Ram 1500 pickup truck. Oh yeah, and now everybody is fully into the act with the trick tailgates. They are, but so I had this. I had the Ram 1500. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think I think around Thanksgiving I had it. And first of all, I I loved the vehicle. Oh, it's, it's such a great truck. Yeah, it's so great. It's won so many awards. However, at five feet tall, I could not get in and out of the pickup truck bed. If I put the bed down, if I put the, the, the tailgate down, it covered the only foot well that I had, which is the license plate to get into the vehicle. So then I would have to like kind of, you know, I would have to put my bum on the tailgate and swing my legs over to get in. And if it's dirty, it's gross. I don't want to do that. If it's wet, I'm getting wet. So, you know, no access to the pickup truck bed was really annoying. And while I realize that I'm the size of a 13 year old, <laughs> there's there's still, you know, a lot of people with arthritis, with any kind of you know physical limitations, an aging population. You know, most or even if you're even, you know, even if even if you're not, you know, if if there's something, you know, relatively heavy or bulky that that you need to reach into the bed to get. I mean, you've got to reach over that tailgate to get it. If if it especially if it's something that might have slid forward in the bed, you know, that that can be quite a reach to get in there. And and like you said, you know, because the only step back there was, you know, on the bumper itself, once you put that tailgate down, you lose that. And, right. and this this new multi-action tailgate or multi-function tailgate uh, really addresses that. You know, so you can still open it like a standard truck bed, or it also splits in the middle, uh, actually splits 60-40 and swings out to the side. So it, it, 
it's in, in a way it's it's similar to what you can do with the Honda Ridgeline, except the Ridgeline is is just is just a single piece tailgate and it'll swing out to the left. So it's only hinged on one side. This one is hinged on both sides, which is an advantage because it gives you flexibility. If you need to carry something long, you can leave either side of that open and hang, you know, hang it out the back and still have the other side closed. Uh, but also, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, because, it, you know, the two halves are shorter, you know, it doesn't swing out as far. So if you, you don't need as much room, as much clearance behind the truck to actually right. swing that thing open. And right. then when you, when you do swing it open, you have access to the tailgate bumper. And they also added, uh, made available a new um, uh, hideaway step to, you know, that extends down even further from the bumper. Uh, so you can step on that and then step up to the bumper and then into the, into the bed. Yeah. And that was super easy to use as well. It, as you say, it tucks underneath by the muffler and then you just pull it out just with, with your, your foot, you can just bring it out and then you actually just kick it back in and it pops back in again. And it provides you with a very easy ingress and egress to, to the, the bed, which is really well lined, really well made. So that, so that door, I was actually on, um, I did two hits for Fox business news and Fox news channel, uh, on this. And we will we were, hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were looking at the, at the hinges on this and the hinges on that hold each of the door pieces to the bed itself or to the truck itself, rather they're, they're about 10 inches of forged steel and it's all one piece. I mean, these things are significant because the tailgate itself, it has, I believe it's a, it's a 2000 pound uh, weight. And so, and then the, the step has, I think it's 600 pounds. So it, it was, it's very capable. It's really well done. It was not cheap to do this. It is quite different. And, oh, and by the way, it's available on any trim level as an option. Um, it's, I think it's a uh, nine ninety five. Uh, that it's going to be that yeah. is the option, and then the center, the optional center step adds another two ninety five uh, to it. But the I will say that the GM, the the GMC um, Pro Liftgate has more utility. It's certainly more complicated, and it's only available on upper trims, but it's competitive to that. Um, this is just a simpler version of it. it. Solves a lot of problems, but I'm still a little partial to the to the GMC version. Well, one one thing that uh, that Ram mentioned is that you know the the GMC version um, when you if you open like the middle part of that tailgate and drop it down, if you have a trailer connected, yes. um, that won't work. Uh, whereas the the Ram tailgate, you can swing those open with a tailgate or with a trailer connected, uh, and you don't have to disconnect the trailer. You but you can still get access to the bed. Right. So there is some. There's an improvement in if you're trailering with the functionality of it. The um, the GMC version of this does. You know, it arguably does more things. It gives you a workspace. It you know it it, it does several different iterations. So it just, I think it kind of, it's both of them are worth looking at. I, you know, I've, I've spent some time in both trucks. They, you know, there's certainly, I like the way that, that each of them drives. They, they both drive smaller than they look. I, uh, and, and 
you know, which is always nice because it, it, it's a big truck, but you don't feel like you're slogging it around, you know, especially in a suburban environment where I usually am driving. Um, but I did like that multi-pro tailgate from GMC a lot. Yeah. Speaking of big trucks, um, <laughs> GM, uh, Chevrolet also had their, their new Silverado HD here, um, yes. which is uh, enormous. So <laughs> do you like it? Do you think it's because uh, they're styling wise, they've m- moved on a bit from where they had been more a lot more conservative. What do you think of just how it looks? It's really big. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, how big it, is it? it? <laughs> it's it's, it's you know, it, well, it's ten inches longer than the previous version. You know, wow. the longest version. Um, you know, they have you know one of the one of the interesting things that's happened over the last fifteen years or so is there's been a real um, you know the manufacturer the the three Detroit automakers have really kind of split their heavy duty trucks apart from their light duty trucks. You know, it used to be, you know, if you go back to, you know, the 1990s, even the late 1990s, and you look at, you know, the heavy duty versions of the full size pickups versus the light duties, purely from a visual perspective, you would have a hard time noticing any, you know, visual difference. You'd have a hard time picking them apart without looking at the badges. Um, And over the last decade, they've really split them and, you know, really moved the heavy duty trucks up up the line more and something that was interesting you know going back to i think it was 2009 um when ford launched you know, it was like two generations ago of the f-150 um i was at you know a, an event a drive event at uh, their uh, romeo proving grounds in michigan for that truck and you know they, they talked at that point uh you know this was right after the the financial meltdown you know and um, you know, gas prices were still, you know, in the three fifty four dollar a gallon range or more. And one of the things that they talked about at that time is that as the light duty trucks have moved up, had moved up in capability at that point, they were, you know, kind of encroaching on where the the twenty five hundreds were, the the bottom of the the heavy duty truck lines. Um, and a lot of buyers were actually stepping down to the light duty trucks because they had enough capability to meet their needs. And so what they've done in, in the years since then is they've continued to move the heavy duties further up, you know, giving them more towing capability, you know, and the, the GM trucks now, you know, um, all of the, uh, the, I think the 3,500s, you know, both the gas and the diesel now have, you know, over 30,000 pound towing capabilities, uh, which is, you know, it's insane. You know, they, the uh, diesel, uh, the the thirty five hundred diesel dually dual rear axle dual rear rear wheel uh, has a thirty five thousand five hundred pound towing capability now. Um, but you know they they have done some you know they've done a lot of refinement on these trucks. You know uh, one of the interesting things that uh, Monty Doran, who's the, the the comms manager for the for Chevy trucks, uh, you know he gave me a walk around on the thing, showed me some of the the details. You know, in the past, if you had uh, a block heater for, especially for the diesel engines, you know, for when it's cold, you know, you would have the, you'd have this extension cord dangling out from usually from underneath the, um, underneath the the hood between the hood and the grill, you know, where you'd plug it in, and they've actually integrated all that on this one. So on the the lower front air dam on the side on the driver's side. 
there's a little door there. You open that up and that's where the plug is. And you just plug right into that, uh, almost like on an EV. Uh, so you don't have this thing, you don't have this you know, cord dangling out for the block heater. Um, you know, they've got the side steps on the side of the bed. They're standard, you know, ahead of the rear wheels. And, you know, like the, like the, uh, the rear step on the, the Ram, you know, that has, you know, 600 pound, I think, uh, uh, capability, you know, I think they, it was all, it was like 580 pounds on the, uh, the, the side steps on the HD, you know, so you can step up there and reach into the bed to get stuff. Um. What else? Oh, uh, another interesting detail. You know, a lot of the the HD trucks are used uh, for snow plows, um, but you know, they, obviously, you don't ha- you don't leave the plow on there year round. You know, in the summertime, you know, the people that operate plows, you know, they usually take the plows off and they use those trucks for other things. And in the past, you know, they would have to you know cut up the bumper or cut up you know part of the front fascia uh, to get the you know to to mount the plow on there on on these new ones now you can um it, they've designed it so you can just take that you can just um, you know take a couple of bolts out and unbolt that front piece there put mount your plow and then when you take the plow off you can just stick that piece back on there and it looks looks normal um so you know they, they spent they spent a lot of detail time on on things that you wouldn't normally think of but you know that actually make a difference to the people that are using these trucks these are also the first uh the first heavy-duty trucks uh, that have automatic um, four-wheel drive, you know, so that you, you know, it'll automatically shift between two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive based on on uh, road slip. Uh, you know, that's never been done on a four on a on the uh, heavy-duty trucks before. So, lot lots of interesting details on this stuff. Well, that's that's where innovation is happening. Is the the big trucks? <clears throat> yeah, too, too it, it is, and the price points are going up as well. Um, Ram also introduced a luxury version of some of their commercial vehicles, um, really reflecting that the trend towards luxury that are that's really overtaken the um, the, the the truck market, the tr- the the true truck market. And did, did was it before the show or or during where Ford introduced their new 2020 Super Duty with the enormous um, Pushrod V8. Uh, it was actually just before the show. Yeah, they they uh, announced a new 7.3, two new engines actually for their 2020 Super Duties, uh, 7.3 liter um, gas engine and um, seven uh, a, a new a new a redesigned version of the 6.7 liter diesel as well. Yeah, and I tried to line up something with Ford, so we'll hopefully have something soon where we're actually talking with uh, with somebody about that truck. Because I was really interested, like, uh, you're going back to the pushrod engine, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and I think there's solid reasons. Um, but just to sort of hear how they worked through that decision process and um, to have them let us down easy, that you're probably never going to see one of, the, one of those engines in a Mustang, and you shouldn't expect to. <laughs> Yeah, we go. We got a little nuts for big, uh, big displacement, but that's not that's not what it's for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's some some stuff happening at Chicago, which, uh, you know, they 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 make a good case for themselves for uh, for being a. Uh, I, I guess a one of the premier shows around uh, around this the season around the circuit. Yeah, well, well, I mean, one of the one of the big, you know, one of the main bits of news that has 
typically has come out of Chicago, you know, when there is news here. And there usually isn't a whole lot of new product introductions in, here in Chicago. But um, this tend, this does tend to be the place where they make a lot of news around the big trucks, uh, especially the heavy-duty trucks and the commercial trucks. Yes, but even, but, you know, Land Rover unveiled the new Evoque here. Yeah, that's Which true. is, you know, they're, they're not even in at the Detroit Auto Show. So it's, you know, there's definitely a, a difference here, but yeah. So they, so Land Rover showed the new Evoque, uh, base price of uh, just over forty two thousand dollars. Got a two point uh, two liter engine, four cylinder turbocharged engine, but it it looks great. I mean, it's just, it's very appealing. It actually reminds me a lot of the Volvo XC40, which is a, a friend of mine dropped hers, hers off. It, it, it was Tiffany blue with a white top, and it was just adorable the volvo but the but the evoke uh has that same very very appealing styling um it's great proportions it, it's there's just something th this to me i think is a more elegant uh version of and certainly more luxurious than something like the blazer that we talked about before but still a very personal vehicle a very personal ride um, perfect for for singles, for empty nester kind of you know smaller families, um, and just a, a great. I think it's just it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. Well, yeah, well, and and bringing it back around to you know what we were talking about the CX five earlier, um, you know, I mean this is this is in that same class that compact that C segment uh, crossover class as the CX five, but you know this you know as a Land Rover. Uh, you know, the Land Rover is the other brand that like Jeep, you know, everything they sell has real serious off-road capability. Right. Um, and, you know, so the, the Evoke, um, you know, lives up to that. It, you know, it, it can go, you know, pretty much anywhere. And, you know, this is a, this is a vehicle that I think, you know, as a premium, you know, small utility you know, I think really lives up to that, you know, both in its exterior design and its interior uh, execution. Uh, you know, and they they announced the pricing for the U.S. version of the Evoque, um, which starts at, I think it was 42650 Was that yes, it? Yeah, 42650 yeah. Oh, yeah. And when it goes on sale this spring, you know, so that's a little more than, than the CX-5. But, I mean, if you're in that $40,000 range right. anyway, you know, this this may be a more appealing option to you than, than the, than the Mazda. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly going to give you more status, you know, it's probably not going to yeah. be nearly well as well equipped until I'm, I'm looking at their brochure now, you know, getting an understanding of, of their trim levels and such, but. Yeah. I mean, you again, can probably get this up in, you know, upwards of 60 grand if you load it up. But. Right. But it is also, it is unabashedly and unmistakably premium. I mean, the, the tires on it are just, you know, it, it's almost it's 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 almost at the edge of cartoonish because the tires are so gigantic on this <laughs> smaller vehicle. Um, but it didn't cross that line. You know, they just pulled it back enough. Um, and as you say, it's incredibly capable, incredibly capable off road. Uh, and so, you know, I just I just think it was it was a great looking vehicle. It was cute because they had um, Joe Eberhardt, who's the president of, of Land Rover uh, North America, and he's a he's a big music fan as well. So they had a local band playing that he himself had found, uh, and you know it just it showed a, it showed a nice 
personality and nice side to to this brand. Well, it's basically picks up some some Vilar, uh yeah cues. So it mm-hmm. does hard hard to argue with the way that one looks. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, I wonder also like I'm trying to remember the original Evoke had a lot of actually um, it was basically an LR2 with a different top hat, and so it had a lot mm-hmm. of Volvo XC60 in it too. So I wonder how far they've moved it from there. Well, uh, the, I think this shares the same platform with the uh, the Jaguar E-Pace. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think it's it's a it's it's a new new architecture. So not not bad. Um, Jaguar yeah. Jaguar's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> not a bad place to be. Yep. Yeah. Um. All right. All right. What else we got? Um. I mean, we covered we covered the high points pretty well here for. Oh, it was a, well. It was the thirtieth thirtieth year anniversary oh, of Nada yeah. and yeah. the Acura NSX. Yeah, thirty thirty years ago at this show, uh, the nineteen eighty nine uh, Chicago Auto Show is where both of those cars were were announced. The NSX didn't go on sale for another you know year and a half um, after that, but the uh, the Miata did go on sale later that year, and uh, you know they, we we saw you know they had uh, the first NSX serial number one on display here with with one of the latest versions, um, and they also. Mazda showed uh, a 30th anniversary special edition of the uh, the Miata, uh, of which they're only going to build uh, 2,000 globally. Um, it'll be available both the coupe and the you know, the, the RF hardtop and the convertible, um, which is the proper way to get any Miata. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's got uh, a, you know special uh, racing orange uh, paint scheme. Um, only 500 of them are coming to the U S and they're, they're starting to take pre-orders for them. So, um, if you like me are a Miata fan, um, you might want to consider getting one. Yeah. That's a pretty slick looking Miata. Um, it's just, it's got a, got a nice yellow orangey kind of hue to it. It looks very, uh, very looks happy enthusiastic about being a good driver's car. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I actually, um, at the party that Mazda had this evening, I got a chance to meet uh, Tommy Matano, who was one who's the original designer of the Mazda, of the Miata. And I asked him, I said, at the time, did you know that you were designing this legendary vehicle? And he started laughing. He goes, no, he goes, we were just designing something that we could afford to buy. (laughs) (laughs) But that's kind of the beauty of the Miata is that it's, you know, just incredibly authentic, incredibly organic. Yeah, it's the best MGB ever made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what he said was that they all had those. You know, he had a little Fiat uh, 500 Spider. You know, he he had, he himself had those small cars. His colleagues had little MGBs and such. And that's, but they wanted a new one that they could actually afford. And, and the, the, you know, they could I, afford and that would be reliable. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, like so. I bet your uh, your Miata doesn't mark its territory nearly as much as an MGB or a Spitfire. <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> but, you know, it's twenty nine years old, and you know, still doesn't leak oil. What? That's <laughs> no, it's not possible. Yeah. Hey, it's a Mazda. Right. That's that's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we had some questions. If we wanted to to touch on those real quick, sure. Before we started to uh to move so uh, one question left over from last week and this one is just a little bit inside baseball but i th- thought it might be just worth touching on um 
how do you get cars? Uh, did they follow us to wheel bearings? Uh, because we built a previous relationship, we're obviously a smaller team than big guys, and they're not going to throw cars at everybody calling themselves. Who are you calling small? Right. Uh, so this is from Twitter. I think the username is I am banana or the handle. So, um, yes, I think that's true. Uh, we, you, if you start off and you call yourself a blog, you either have to do the hard work to build an audience or you have to start from somewhere that had an audience and then split off like we did. Yeah. And every day now I expect at least on my end that they're going to tell me I can't have any more cars. <laughs> and, you know, in, in my case, um, you know, because of my, uh, my primary job as an analyst an industry analyst, um, you know, and I think the same goes for you, Rebecca, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of why we, you know, we get access uh, to the press cars you know, because, you know, we're we're evaluating the products that they're putting out there and it the what we glean from uh, from driving these cars. You know, we get an understanding of what kind of pro, you know, what they're putting out there, how it fits in, how they you know, how the different manufacturers compare. So, you know, in addition to doing, you know, doing reviews here on the show and, and in other uh, venues where we write stuff uh, about these cars. Um, you know, we're, it's also feeding into the work that we do as analysts, you know, to understand the industry and, you know, to help out the clients that we work with, you know, to understand what's going on in this space. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, part of why, uh, you know, I, I certainly part, a big part of why I get access to these cars. Right. And likewise, it's, um, you know, for me, if I'm evaluating a company, even you know, from a financial standpoint, I'm not a stock analyst, but just looking at, you know, I will, I will often get asked about their financial performance. And, you know, if I'm driving, you know, if I drive the GMC Sierra or the Chevy Silverado and I think, ah, you know, I'm not so sure about this, then I can potentially look and say, you know, they could have a hard time selling this product. On the flip side, if I say, look, this is absolutely fantastic. You know, then I can say, you know, I think the GM is probably going to do okay because they've got some really good product in the, in the lineup. So, um, and it's, and also it's great to have the opportunity to compare and contrast to, mm -hmm. you know, to look at things and say, you know, this is why, um, you know, maybe I prefer this small crossover over that small crossover um, because we get to drive different products at different times. So, I, you know, and I, but I, I do think it just overall, it just gives us a better understanding of what's in the marketplace, how this brand will be performing um, and who they're going to appeal to with a certain product or whether a product is going to be appealing at all. Yeah, and our audience may be small, but they're mighty. <laughs> it's, it's, about, well, it's about quality, not quantity. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and speaking of our, our audience, um, you know, I just want to touch on something else as well. Um, you know, we, I know, I, I know personally that there are quite a few people that listen to this show, uh, that work in the auto industry, you know, that work for various automakers and suppliers. Um, and, you know, so I, and I, you know, I, I, I run into them at, you know, various events that I go to at auto shows and conferences. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that you listen and, and, you know, we, we, we like, we love that. And, you know, we love the feedback. Um, and uh, I know that there's a lot of people that, that listen 
um, that are also, um, you know, involved either in, they're involved in development of um, various either electronic control systems or automated vehicles or EVs, uh, infotainment systems. Um, and, you know, even for those that aren't, um, you know, right now is actually, and especially in Detroit, uh, is getting to be a, a tough period. There's a, a bunch of people getting laid off as manufacturers, particularly GM right now, but, you know, also Ford and, and I'm sure even FCA and, uh, and other manufacturers are shifting their workforce, trying to get new skill sets in to adapt to a changing marketplace. Um, and so, you know, one of the, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of new uh, software techniques, new electronics that are coming on stream, and understanding of that, you know, one of the ways that uh, for people working on this stuff to to understand that stuff better is there's a lot of uh, good developer conferences where you can learn a lot of stuff, um, you know, especially talking to other developers. Uh, one of those is the NVIDIA GPU Technology Conference. Um, and NVIDIA does seven of these around the world now. The first one of, of, of 2019 is next month in uh, San Jose, and I'll actually be there uh, attending that because they, they also have a track for analysts there. Um, but it, you know, for anybody that's listening, if you're interested in attending, they've got over 500 different sessions and tech talks there, uh, including a whole bunch that are focused specifically on automotive, uh, various automotive aspects from infotainment systems to simulation uh, automated driving systems. Uh, if you're interested in going, um, NVIDIA has actually given us a discount code, um, which we'll include in the show notes. It's MCX Navigant. That's MCX N-A-V-I-G-A-N-T. And I'll, I'll put that in the show code in the show notes. That that use that discount code if you register, and you'll get a 20% discount off your uh, off the cost of your your pass for uh, the NVIDIA GPU Technology Conference in Silicon Valley. That's awesome. Yeah. That'd be a good time. Yeah. No, it, it's it's a great conference. And, you, you know, you get to attend a, a Jensen Wang keynote, which is a, a fascinating event if you've never experienced one. Um, but there's, there's a lot of great, you know, a, a, it's a great opportunity to learn and to talk to other developers and engineers that are uh, using these same tools, you know, and, and also, you know, to learn directly from the folks at NVIDIA you know about the the software frameworks that they have, uh, and all the all the stuff that they have, uh, all the the tools that they have available. Um, so you know if that's if that's an area of interest to you, you know check it out um, and uh, use that discount code for twenty percent off. I'm surprised to hear that FCA is having layoffs too. I guess I don't follow it that closely. But they well, they they, they haven't they haven't quarter. announced it. Yeah, they haven't announced any layoffs or any intention to do any layoffs. But I you know I strongly suspect that. In the not too distant future, we will hear, um, you know, something about you know them shifting, you know, trying to make adjustments in in their workforce, you know, to get different skill sets in because that's basically everybody's trying to get a lot more software people in there to deal with electric vehicles, electrified vehicles, um, automation, and and you know more advanced communications and infotainment systems. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, those, those are tough skill sets to find. Um, so, you know, if, if you can develop those skill sets, you know, for yourself, you might have a better chance of keeping your job going forward. Yeah. I think it's important to note that it's not that the industry is contracting. It is, it's, it's changing. changing. Yeah. It's changing a lot. And, and the, the requirements of the jobs 
are changing because the face of mobility is changing. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's difficult because people with, you know, 20, 30 years of experience are getting let go. Um, but it's, it's really a matter of just the demands of the job, the, the requirements that manufacturers need to keep up with Silicon Valley, to keep up with the pace of, of, of mobility changes is really the challenge that they're facing. It happens in every industry to a degree. Anytime there's an, an upheaval, um, it's a little different now because of, of what, what cars are and how they're incorporating so much software and tech. Um, and that tech is coming from other places. And there there are other approaches. I mean, the Silicon Valley approach is very effective in a lot of ways. But when you're talking about moving that into a an automobile, um, you can't necessarily be as quick and as nimble. And that was another sort of topic that we we touched on. I know, Sam, you dug into it on Twitter a little bit. Um, why cars don't use state of the art sort of cutting edge electronics. And it even goes all the way down to the materials that they're made of, you know, the, the silicon and the chips. Um, it, it, you know, I, I very flippantly, uh, uh, not, not flippantly, I suppose, but I, you know, off the cuff, I was just like, cars are not phones. They cost $30,000. People keep them for 12 years. They're a power plant. They are um, technology and communications and a safety cage all on four wheels. So they're not phones and and that kind of like phone software thing isn't necessarily better. It's just another way to do it. And at a certain point, that discipline crosses with the car discipline of, hey, this has to last from like, you know, minus 70 degrees to 150 degrees in the, in the sun and work and be reliable for a decade and cost $30,000. So, yeah, yeah and, and, and have 30,000 different parts to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, not be susceptible to things like electromagnetic interference. I mean, you know, you've got a, a 150 in some cases, 150 separate computers in the car operating, you know, everything from your power seats to your power windows and, uh, you know, your uh, your sequential uh, turn signals and all kinds of other fancy stuff that that, you know, that's there's there's software in every one of those things. And, you know, the, with all those all these electronics in the vehicle, it's funny, I, I was talking to somebody recently, you know, the wiring harness for some vehicles today is so so heavy and so complex that it can take eight or nine people to unpack a single wiring harness from the box and <laughs> install it into the car on the assembly line. Wow. That's that's insane. That is just yeah. absolutely nuts. <laughs> well, that's why they're... I mean, imagine what it would be without something like can. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but... You know, in, in order to make all this stuff work and make it work reliably over time in these really harsh conditions, you know, you, you said, you know, from temperatures, you know, that typically the, the design specs are usually from minus 40 Fahrenheit to 120 degrees Fahrenheit is what things are designed for. You know, but it is also humidity, you know, from desert, you know, dry to, uh, you know, to 100 percent humidity and rain and, you know, uh, it's got to be sealed against against uh, weather. Uh, you got vibration, you know, when you hit those potholes and rumble strips, all that vibration, you know, this stuff cannot fall apart. And so, um, you know, what typically happens is the electronics that go into these vehicles is not 
you know, the latest and greatest stuff that comes out, you know, <laughs> that came out last week, you know, it's stuff that um, is usually by the time it gets into the vehicle, you know, it's usually at least two, three, four years old, you know, since the original version of it was introduced. And then it's been made automotive grade in order to withstand those kinds of conditions over the lifespan of the vehicle. And so, you know, that's that's why, you know, you have this different kind of life cycle for this stuff. You know what? You know why it's usually not state of the art. I mean, as we move into automated vehicles, it's you know, it's going to become more advanced. You know that we're going to be using more advanced parts. But, you know, you, you were talking today, you know, the, you know, when we get, uh, you know, a, uh, like, you know, partial automated vehicles in 2020, 2021 that are using in, NVIDIA's Xavier chip, that's a chip that was announced in 2017. So that will have been three years, you know, between the time it was announced or actually 2016, it was first announced in 2017. They first really started sampling it. You know, by the time, it, you know, it's going to be almost four years by the time it actually gets into production vehicles because, you know, it's got everything's got to be tested and validated. So, um, you know, and by the time that car has been on the road for 10 years, now you're talking 12, 14, 15 years old, you know, and, uh, the, you know, it's it's got to continue working. It can't it's not like a phone that you throw away every two years and, and buy a new one. So it's it's a it's a very different kind of use case. Yeah, <laughs> I have nothing else to add. Just sort of my my theme for this uh, this episode. So uh, yeah, we're we're at about an hour and a half. So I think it's, it's probably a good time to to call it. Um, unless there's anything else either of you wanted to add, but I, I think think we've done a pretty full show. I agree. All week. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, good. In the meantime, uh, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, uh, drop us some feedback into the review section of the podcatcher of your choice. Otherwise, if podcast, Apple Podcasts isn't isn't where you do it, that's the big one. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at wheelbearingscast at gmail.com. Uh, you can, of course, also comment on the post at wheelbearings.media. Uh, the Twitter handle is at wheelbearingscast. The only vowel is the A in cast uh, because we're modern like the kids uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you for listening and here's hoping uh, something interesting happens before the next show alright I'm sure it will there's never a dull moment in this business <laughs> alright thanks guys thanks guys alright bye bye When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.